How you doing this morning? Good? You, you comfortable? It's, that might not last long this morning. Fair warning. Let's get to work. Um, in, in general, in just the different areas, facets of, of our lives, I think it's a good idea sometimes to, to stop, uh, look at the things that we've always kind of been doing and ask ourselves, why do we do things the way we've always done them? Sometimes we find out the reason we've always done something this way is because it's the best way to do it. But doing things just because that's the way we've always done them is not always wise. Uh, like the little girl who was helping her mom with uh, a special family meal. They were having ham, and mom got the big ham out and set it on the counter, and she cut the ends, both ends, off the ham, put those in a container in the fridge, and she put the ham in the oven. Her little girl said, Mom, why do you cut the ends off of your hams? She said, well, it's just what we've always done. It's the way my mom taught me. The little girl said, but what, is it, what does it do? And she said, well, they always turn out good. It's just what, that's why we've all, it's what we've always done, so I don't, I don't change anything. Well, Grandma came over for the meal. The little girl says, Grandma, did you, do you always cut the ends off your hams? She said, yeah, always. Why do you do that? She said, it's just the way my mom taught me. It's what we've always done. They always come out good. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. The next day, they went to the nursing home to visit great-grandma. And the little girl says, asked her great-grandmother, do you remember baking hams? And she said, oh, yeah, I've made lots of hams. She said, did you always cut the ends off of your hams? And great-grandma thinks and says, oh, yeah, you know, generally I did. And the little girl said, well, what does it do for? Why did you, why'd you do that? And she said, well, way back then, my oven was so small that if I didn't cut the ends off the hams, I couldn't get it in there. Right? Sometimes it's important to know why. Why do we do the things we do? Why, as Christians, do we do the stuff God has asked us, commanded us, to do in the scriptures, sometimes the why is important. And that's what today's passage really is about. Why do we do the stuff God wants us to do? We're going to read our passage in a minute. You can go ahead and find it, but we're not going to read it quite yet. Romans 13, um, verse 11, begins with, depending upon your version, Two or three words that I want to draw to your attention that we have to deal with if we really want to understand this passage. Well, if I turn this thing on, it'll work better. There we go. The main command of this passage is easy to read right over. It's not the main idea, but it's the main command. Paul starts Romans 13, 11 with these words. Do this. And do this. And the rest of the passage is about why. We want to do this, but Paul doesn't tell us what this is. So if we're really going to understand today's passage, we've got to understand the this. Because Paul says, do this, and the rest of the passage is here's why. So what's the this? This this obviously looks backwards to something Paul has said before. And I'm convinced that this that Paul is talking about is everything Paul has taught us since he started teaching us about the, the, the Christian life, what the Christian life 
looks like. He told us everything about the Christian life already in one verse. First, Paul spent 11 chapters teaching us about the belief system of Christianity. And then in Romans 12, 1, he started to teach us what the Christian life looks like. If you believe all 11 chapters that I told you before, then, therefore, Romans 12, 1, I exhort you, brothers or brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, this is your reasonable, logical act of service or worship toward God. That's the whole of the Christian life. Everything we've been studying since that verse, which has been a couple months, has all been about what this verse looks like. Paul said, I exhort you, you people who have already accepted the mercies of God. You you folks who, who are with me through Romans 1 through 11, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're saved, you're redeemed, you've been rescued from your sin. Now, because you've done that, here's what you do next. You give your body back to the God who rescued you. Your whole life, body and all. Is that sacrificial? You better believe it. It's a sacrifice. I'm alive, alive holy, pleasing to God. And Paul said, this is only reasonable. This Greek word here is logikon. It's logical. It just makes sense. If there really is a God out there and my my best life now would be spent pleasing him and the only way I can please him is through faith in Jesus Christ and he can take all the painful, terrible stuff in this world and make it work together for good for those who love him then it just makes sense. The best thing I can do is give my whole life back to a God like that. That's my best life now, no matter what anybody else tells you. And then Paul's been telling us what that looks like. And when today, when Paul says, do this, do all that stuff, that's what he's talking about. Everything we've studied since Romans 12, 1. Do this as be that living sacrifice. Well, what's that look like? Paul said, well, it starts with being willing to be different from the world. That's Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. You have to be willing to be different from those around you to do this Christianity thing. Um, Christianity is a complete transformation Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed, all of you. It's a complete transformation. And it starts in the way we think. There's a renewing of our mind. So it's a different way to think, to approach my life as not, what can I get away with? Who's going to know? But what do you think is well-pleasing in your sight, God? What's best to you? Like that's, that will result in a transformation and it starts with trans, it's a transformed way of thinking. My transformed thinking will, will change the way I view about myself. Paul taught us, if you're being this living sacrifice thing, you won't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. There is a way you ought to think about yourself, which is not, I'm trash, I'm the lowest, nobody likes me and God probably hates me and I think I'll just go eat worms. That's not the way we ought to think. We have an accurate view of ourselves. We're others-focused. We're humble. But this 
living sacrifice then keeps me from thinking more highly of myself than I ought. It helps me, he said next, to view like the stuff I have in this world, the talents God gave me, the abilities I have, not as just how I can get ahead in this world, but how I can serve others through my abilities, my talents, and, and, and the stuff God has blessed me with. And then, and we've been here for some time now, Paul's been teaching us to love others. And we define love, biblical love, is the desire to see and the work put toward seeing God's best done in someone else's life. And Paul said, real love? That means because I'm after God's best in your life. And you're after God's best in my life if you love me. Paul said, that means we have to be honest. Real love hates hypocrisy and it super hates evil. It abhors evil. Paul said, biblical love is not this per permissive thing where I can't tell anybody that they're doing anything wrong. No, because I want God's best in that person's life. So I abhor evil and I'm honest, but Paul said, if I love you, even if I have to confront you about some sin, I'm always going after your honor what lifts you up and builds you up. I'm not going after you just as a way to tear you down so I can feel better about me by, by cutting you down a few notches. Nah, that's not love. Love is always after the honor of the other person. And Paul encouraged us to stay after the business of loving others, even when it's hard, even when it's thankless, even when it doesn't get the results that we wish it would get. Because we're not doing this to get results for us, we're doing this sacrificially because I've given my whole body, my whole life, body and all, back to God. He taught us even when people hurt us, love compels us that we never return evil even for evil. We even are, are about, we think about what would be the be best the real needs of those people even who have hurt me love compels us to submit to the authorities over us in our families in our churches in our jobs in our government even if the government is as evil as I don't know Nero the emperor and that's hard And last week, Paul told us that love fulfills all the demands of the law. We want to be obedient, but if we focus on love, it's like we get the law for free. That was last week. So, all of that is two words. Do this. Do what? This. Be a living sacrifice. Be different from the world. Have a renewed thinking. Uh, be others-focused. and Love others. Love others. Love others. That's not hard or easy. Does that sound hard or easy? Okay, thanks. It's not nap time yet. I'll let you know. Um, so why would we want to do all this hard stuff? Is it so I can go to heaven when I die? No. No, look. 
Paul's telling this to brothers and sisters who have already accepted the mercies of God that he already explained for 11 chapters. When we studied Romans 12.1, I said, it doesn't do us any good to do Romans 12 through 15 for God if God hasn't already done Romans 1 through 11 for us. Right? I can't be good enough that God will say, now you're there, Maxwell. Now I like you. Now I accept you because you're doing so good. No, he accepts me because Jesus was good. So if we're going to heaven anyway, why do we want to do this? That's today's passage. Let's check it out. Let's read Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Do this, knowing the time. Do this because it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh regarding its lusts. Okay, there's our passage. We start in in verse 11, which really is the why. Do all this. Do what? Be that living sacrifice, different from the world. I think differently, not more highly of myself. Others focused. I love people. I love people. I love people. Why? Because we know what time it is, Christians. That's why. What's Paul mean? What's Paul mean by that? Once we have Romans 1 through 11, once we're redeemed, once we're saved, once we have eternal life, peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we have what Ecclesiastes says, we have have eternity in our hearts. We have this eternal perspective that lets us know this world is not all there is. Amen? Amen? We have something better coming. Now, what we do in this life matters, but it's not the main event. And we know, because we have this eternal perspective, 10 million years from now, I'm still going to be. I'm going to be me. And I'm going to have 10 million more 10 million years after that. And that lets me know this little life I live right now that's very important is a breath. is a blip. It's so short. And that makes it extremely important and extremely precious. We we know, we know what time it is. It's almost time for me to stand before the Lord. That's what time it is. I, I don't know, we all know this logically, like today could be it for me. Today could be it for you, right? We don't know, here's what we do know. It's gonna happen a lot faster than we think. Paul says at the end, I don't know when it's going to be, but I know this, I have less less time left today than I had yesterday. Right? Look at what Paul says next. 
So we know, because we know what time it is, we know how short life is, we know that eternity is long, this life is really short, that lets us know this, it is already the hour for us to wake up. You know, sitting in church, uh, I, I go to church a lot, I don't know if you knew, but I've heard, I've read so many times about how Paul thought Christ was going to return in his day. You ever hear that? I honestly, I got to confess this to you. I'm going to fight you on this, but I don't know why people say that, honestly. I've read all of his books. I don't see it. I can definitely see Jesus telling us not to worry about it. We'll just get deceived. Here's what Paul says. It's quicker than you think. Like, I don't know what it's going to be, but time is short. And we know this. It's, it's already time for us to stop sleepwalking our way through this very precious life. That's what Paul says. It's not going to be long. The clock is ticking, and I'm going to be standing in front of my Lord, giving an account for how I invested this one life he gave me. That's Paul's motivation. Do all this stuff. Why? Because you don't have much time to do it. Yeah, but Paul, it seems so hard. Yes. This is the only chance you have to do the hard part. You're going to glorify Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Do you know that? Actually, you're going to do that whether you're in hell or in heaven. You're going to glorify Jesus. But this is for Christians. So you're going to glorify Jesus for all of eternity in heaven on the new earth. But that's going to be easy. It's going to be all joy. This is the only little blip of time we have to do it when it's hard. Apostles love people. Yeah, but they don't respond the way I, I know. Did you know this is the only, I don't know how much time you have left. It's less time than we all think. It's going to go very quickly, but this is the only chance we have to point unbelievers toward faith in Jesus Christ. This is the only chance we have to love people who are hurting, who are lonely, to care for people who are sick, to come alongside the people who are, are forgotten, who are depressed, all that stuff. This is it. Because those, those problems don't exist in eternity. Praise God. But that stuff matters to God. And we have so little time, family, to do the hard stuff. Praise God, we don't have to worry about it in eternity. Paul says, it's time right now to wake up and do that stuff while we can. It's already the hour. It is so easy to think, you know what? When I get some more time, when things calm down, when my kids are gone, when this, when that, I'm going I'm to have more time and then I'm going to do Paul says, it's already time to wake up to the reality that you're losing your time. Wake up, old Christian. Don't sleepwalk through this life. It's too precious. Enough with the focusing our lives on what ultimately will be either meaningless or destructive. Enough with the self-absorption. We don't have time for that. 
It is so tempting to make this life about building my, my treasure here and my rest here. Like what I do for fun, what I do for entertainment, the next trip, the next vacation, living for the weekend, all that stuff. And, and there's joy in that and God wants us to have those things, but they're not the point. Life's too short. That's what eternity's for. We get rest forever and ever and ever. So Paul says it's time to wake up. In verse 12, Paul says, we're burning daylight. Everything else in the past is just an explanation of what he's, what he's already said. It's time to wake up, so wake up. Verse 12, the night has advanced toward dawn, the day is near, so then we must lay aside the works of darkness and put on the weapons of light. Paul lived, Paul wrote in a day and age that wasn't uh, dominated by electric lights like our world is. Um, the way the life worked was people were productive when it was light out, and they weren't very productive when it was dark out. It was too hard. So Paul lived also in a, in a hot climate. And so those first hours of the day were very precious. When it was light enough to be productive, but it wasn't yet brutally hot. So you wanted to be up, you want to have yourself fed, have yourself ready. So as soon as it was light enough to be productive, you could hit the ground. You could, you could get cracking, right? With that in mind now, Paul says, the night's already advanced toward dawn. The day is already near. You hear what he's, you hear what he's saying? You, you've already missed some of the best part, and that's sad. Can't we all look backwards and go, oh, if I had that, if I had that period of my life back. Ah, if only I wouldn't have wasted so much time chasing this or that or whatever. Listen, that's gone. That's gone. God can redeem that time. Paul's not saying feel terrible about your past. He's saying wake up today. Don't look back at this time three years from now and, and regret this one. It's time to wake up. We're burning daylight. Put away the unproductive stuff. I don't think Paul's actually talking about stuff at night and stuff during the day. You just put, put away the unproductive stuff and get busy on what matters. Along the same line, verse 13, Paul says, so let, let us live decently like it's daytime out, not in carousing and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality and discord and jealousy. Paul says, we as Christians, we should not be jammed up in sexual sin and drunkenness. Um, there's no way we can be living our life the best way when we're jammed up in that stuff. There's just no way. That's, that stuff is self-service. My best life is God's service. So... It's time to put that stuff away. It's part of waking up. Uh, Jesus said, this reminds me, this verse reminds me. Jesus said one time, uh, John 3, he said, you know, one problem with people is people love the darkness because their deeds are evil. People love that time when we're not, when we don't have to be at work anymore. You know why? Because then we can do what we want to do. 
half the time, it ain't great. Paul says here, live like it's daytime, all the time. You know, people have less problem. I know it happens, but people have less problem with sexual immorality and drunkenness, like why they're at work. Right? Right? It's a little harder to pull that off, like at the office. Right? Paul says, just live like it's daytime all the time. You know why? If we follow, like, Paul's thinking, who are we supposed to be living for? What are we, what's the best thing I can do in my life? Be a living sacrifice toward God. If he's my audience, we have to understand, like, he can see me. Right? Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that. Like, people like nighttime because it feels like they can hide that stuff. I'm not at work. I'm in my own private world. Nobody sees. It's a good reminder, like, God sees. Like how owls and cats and stuff can see at night. Like God made owls and cats, right? He can see. Sometimes it's helpful. I remember doing this in my own life, asking myself, Maxwell, who exactly are you hiding from? If we answer that question, we'll kind of figure out who we're living for. If I'm just hiding from my parents, from my wife, from my husband, from the people at work, from the people at church. Well, that's not who I'm supposed to be living for anyway. The one who can, I'm actually living for can see just fine. Now, that understanding of what Paul is saying, live exposed. Live in the daytime, let the sun shine in, right? Understand we are exposed. That understanding of what Paul's talking about helps us figure out what these last two sins are doing in a list like this. Because Paul was talking about what we usually think of as the biggies, right? I, in my mind's eye, as this, the book of Romans was originally being read, I imagine there were some people that were kind of like, it's about time, Paul. Been waiting for you to tell people to stop getting wasted and stop sleeping around. We're going to clean this place up. Finally, right? And he had a good thing going. Why'd you have to, why'd you have to mess that up by putting two sins in that I met, that I have a problem with, Paul? I was feeling just fine about myself if you would have stopped after sensuality here. But discord and jealousy, what do those have to do with this like living like it's nighttime or living like it's daytime? Paul was setting us up. He does it a lot. Find a list of sins where Paul lists sins. If you're willing to slow down and let the sun shine in, you'll find yourself in that list. It's easy to pretend these weren't in there if, if, if these aren't things that I struggle with. So what's discord? What's discord, by the way? Your Bible might call it, anybody else have a different word? In your translation? What? Oh, that's with jealousy, probably. Do you have something with, else with discord? Strife? You have strife? Discord? You, you know what that is? Fighting, arguing, being argumentative. Here's what strife is. 
When I use my, my over-competitive nature, tempts me to use negative emotion, and raising the volume of my negative emotion to get you to back down, And you know what jealousy is? Envy. Covetousness. What are those two doing in a list like this? Do you know, oh Christians, drunkenness and sexual sin are not the only kinds of sins that we can convince ourselves nobody really sees. I'm doing this. See, we, we just do this at home. Nobody knows what I'm really thinking about when I'm jealous and eating up with envy. And you know what else it reminds us? Like, God cares about the whole list. He does. This is about convincing us to wake up and be exposed with our sins. So Paul says, here's, here's like a crazy idea, this nutty idea. Let's, pre- let's live like we actually believe the one we're living for can see what we are doing. And it's not those excusable sins, the JV sins that, that we do. I mean, I'm not like those people. I'm not out getting loaded and sleeping around. Um, but Paul's about to talk about the unity in the body. Like when, when you start with the, the fighting and the strife and the argument and it's just constantly like that, like God really cares. It is disgusting to God when I slip into discord and strife, even if I'm sober. When I'm eaten up with jealousy and focused on what I don't have, God is disgusted, even if I'm not sinning a sexual sin while I'm there, while I'm I'm in that strain of thought. This is let the sun shine in and live like we are exposed. Not just this stuff nobody really sees. It's not a real problem. Instead, Paul says, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision the flesh to arouse its desires. Instead of hiding, instead of sleepwalking, uh, instead of being self-consumed and self-absorbed and living this life just for me and what feels good and all that stuff, instead, instead of living my life through asking questions like, well, who's really going to see? Who's really going to know? Is it really going to matter? It's not really going to hurt anybody else. We live exposed Instead of living like that, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a funny thing to say. Because like Jesus isn't a pair of pants. What does this mean? Well, it's a metaphor. You know, oftentimes what people put on can, can change the way they behave. You know that? It's true. If we were like ancient soldiers and we were out drilling and training and whatever, 
All of a sudden, the commanding officer came by and said, you better put your armor on, boys. That would change the way we behave. Here's kind of a minor one, but it's true. I played a lot of basketball. I went to a lot of basketball practices. I tried really hard to take them seriously and work hard and get better and all that stuff. But man, on those nights when we put on the actual uniform, it changed like the way we talked and our behavior and our mental state and everything. And not just because our shorts were so small either. <laughs> Good luck scrubbing that mental image out over lunch today. No, what you put on can change your behavior. Instead of living like God doesn't see, nobody's going to find out, it doesn't matter. The opposite is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Embrace his presence that he can see. You know, this is why, like starting, starting your day with some scripture and some prayer. Do you know why it's not important? It's not important because... Like, God likes the Christians who do that every day better than the other ones. Or you got to check that off, or God hates you all day long. He's just waiting for you. When you get back in here, I'm going to... No. It's part of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Spending some time with him. And, I, and, I, and then we can spend some time praying like this. Lord, like, there is a battle out there today. And there's a battle in here every day. And I need you. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Lord, there's that person that I work with. There's that person in my family. There's that person in my church. that I tend to, uh, if I'm not careful, Lord, I'll be eaten up with anger. I can fall into that strife. And I know you've exposed that, Lord. I know you, you hate that. And I don't want to be that. But I, I need you. Can I, just, I just want to put you on before I go in there. I want to wage this disagreement. I want to confront that sin like it's really true that you are right there with me while I'm doing it. Or, Lord, for me, maybe it is for, for me, maybe it is um, drunkenness or, or drugs or something like that. God, I, I, I don't want to be that anymore. or sexual sin, or whatever, whatever it is. How, how, Lord, in this day, how, as I go out there and live the life you gave me, with the job you gave me, and the family you gave me, how can I go out there and live and make it look like you are the most important thing in my life? I just want to put you on and take you with me and have you lead me. That's what like devotional time prayer is for. So on the positive side, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and sort of like the negative side and make no provision for the flesh to arouse its desires. What are provisions? It's just like supplies. What something needs to survive. You cut off an army's provisions, they're in real trouble, right? Make no provision for the flesh Starve it out. Here's what that means. It means I better go, I better spend some time being honest with myself about what my weaknesses are. 
right? Not feeling good that I don't have that guy's weaknesses. What are mine? It might be the drunkenness and the sexual sin. It might be more the strife and jealousy. It might, be, it might be laziness. It might be gossip. It might be, I don't know. But I want to expose that stuff so that I can confess it. And part of repentance, going in a different, a better direction, is starving it out. I don't want to have these sins that I think are pet sins that I can actually handle and play with. I, don't want, to, I want to schedule my day against you know, leaving that time for that issue. Whatever it is. Um, you know, God told Cain, sin is uh, crouching at your door. It's like a wild animal crouching at your door ready to devour you. And in one of the commentaries I read, uh, some author named K.J. Foreman was quoted. I have no idea who he is. But he said this. This is his explanation of make no provision for the flesh to arouse his desires. He said, kick sin off your doorstep and you won't have to worry about having it in your house. I like that. That's make no provision for the flesh. A lot of times when we fall into temptation, we're like 72 mistakes down the road because we thought we could handle it. Kick it off your doorstep and you won't have to have it in your house. So, do this stuff. Do this living sacrifice stuff. It really is best. Why? Why do we want to do all that stuff? Why do I want to try to weed out the sin that I struggle with? Why do I want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Why do I want to do all that stuff of loving others? Again, is it so God will let me into heaven when I die? No. We go to heaven by God's grace alone, a free gift. He gives to all those who believe in Jesus Christ. But I want to do this Christianity thing. And I want you to do this Christianity thing right now because we have so little time to do it. Sands through the hourglass family. I don't know how much sand you got left. But we got less left today than we had yesterday. We only have a few chances to do the hard stuff in a broken world to carry Jesus as our banner and our flag and our goal while the world is broken. That stuff's going to be celebrated for all of eternity. I don't want to just be on vacation now waiting for when it's easy. Paul says it's time to wake up up to the reality that we have so little time with a world with so many needs. Is that an alarm clock I hear in the distance? Let's wake up, serve our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word, even the hard parts. Um, God, where we are convicted, help us to expose those areas to our, of our lives to you. God, help us do this, this incredibly hard work of living the Christian life. Help us do this, not because it helps us get into heaven after we die. You sealed that for us at the cross, but help us do this so that you can be glorified 
in the broken world, through this church, through us as individuals, in our families. God, we want to do this so that other people see Jesus Christ for your glory. But it's hard. We have so little time and it's so hard, Lord. So walk with us, expose what needs to change for us, lead us. Help us do this, Lord, not so that other people will think something about us. The people will know that Jesus has come. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is way and truth and life. We love you, Lord. Help us do this. In Jesus' name, amen.